Episode 113 of Dads of the Crypt. My name is Jason, and I'll be your host for this special episode where I will be reviewing The Exorcist The Believer with the writer, co-producer, and actor of Exorcistic, the rock musical, Michael Shaw Fisher. Welcome. Thank you. I have a quick question. Uh-huh. Uh, on a scale, like, from 1 to 13... How crazy do we like to get on here? Like with language and, oh, uh, and random bullshit. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just want to know, you know, where, where I'm tied to the bed and, and where I can roll around the ceiling. Yeah. Um, so let's start with, I happened to see, I think I saw something on Instagram about this musical that you're putting on, which is the unauthorized rock version of The Exorcist or about a crew putting on a rock version of the Exodus that gets possessed themselves. Right. And I was like, I need to know more. And you were generous enough to invite me to come to a show. And I'm not a musical. Per- I like music, but I'm not like a musical person, but <laughs> I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. <laughs> it was a blast. Oh man. Well, that's great. I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah, it was, it's a sight to behold. So, before we get into the review, tell me about this musical. Tell me how where it came from, how you wrote it, what inspired it. Well, you know, it was originally written uh, for the Hollywood Fringe Festival 10 years ago. Um, actually, 11 years ago, because I was going to do it in 2012. And I was just thinking about, oh, what would be this just insane show that I could do at the Fringe? And I just... Nothing seemed more like contrasting logic than to have a rock musical parody of the scariest film of all time, which I'd actually heard at one point they did try to make into a musical. There was this rumor sort of floating around. And at that time, there even were these demos of this, like, it was almost like a country singer who tried to do a musical of The Exorcist. Oh, my God. And I was like, like a serious take on it. Yeah, but it was like it's terrible, and like I was like, oh, that'll be so much fun if that was just like a rock musical, like if that was like an all-out, you know, sort of methamphetamine rush of humor and just stupidity, but at the same time try to keep some reverence and have a lot of Easter eggs for the fans. Um, and then I just thought of the uh, that central image of a possessed girl moving from the stage into the audience in this demented sort of Hedwig and the Angry Inch cabaret <laughs> and just seducing them and insulting them and just profane, profane and puking and all sorts of craziness. And I'm like, that's the show. Everybody would love to see that show. I would love to see that show. Yeah, Even if was, I wasn't a fan of the movie. I'd love to see that show. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I asked for permission to take pictures and videos so I didn't feel like a dick while I was doing that because I just like, <laughs> Like I need to get like this is like perfect TikTok Instagram real kind of kind of stuff because yeah she only comes out and it's just like cabaret singing to people 
down the audience <laughs> and I got like a great video of it because she just walked right by me and I was just like <laughs> never seen anything quite like that. And you're being far loved- far too gentlemanly, Jason, for for that. You're, by, no, by, I get- by, by asking ahead of time, I think that show's already in your face. I think you could have, you know, attacked us in many different ways and it would have been acceptable. Yeah, well, I, I, I have some. I don't want to be like kicked out or you know possessed or anything by the evil god of a uh, bad phone etiquette. Because like I don't like I don't like when people do that in theaters. So I'm not gonna go into your house and do it either. Um, and what, what I really enjoyed is again, you know, the music is actually good. Is like good. Like I, I was like I like I was like I had some of the songs stuck in my head. I've listened to the soundtrack off of Spotify, but even like during the theatrical performance, there's moments where you take like really mundane scenes and find a way to make it absurd or silly. Like the phone gag. I don't know how much I can give away. But oh, I mean, yeah, you can talk about it. I mean, that, that right there is, I mean, that's one of, that's one of our directors, Chad, Chad McMillan. He, that was his, that was his idea. The phone gag uh, was, was just awesome. And it's played really well here in New York too. It played in LA and the people just keep responding to it. But that, that insanely long cord that whips over people's heads. Right. Yeah. So the, you basically have Reagan McNeil talking on the phone to a doctor and you're, it's, it's not the most exciting scene in the world, but then you have another actor who's holding onto the base of the phone and she walks across the stage with obscenely <laughs> long phone cords. I don't even know where you can get those anymore. <laughs> and she just starts, starts walking through the crowd. So the phone cord keeps whacking people in the head. Yeah. She's just, just, yeah. Just scalping folks <laughs> right mm-hmm. along. No, uh, yeah, it's it's funny, you know. With with a parody, you have to you have to look at the absurdity and in stuff, and and really and stuff that people wouldn't usually see. And a lot of that kind of comes down to certain things that we don't even use today, like like phone cords. You know, mm-hmm. that's just not a thing. Young generations don't know what they are. It would seem sort of like this absurd prop for you to see it in a film, and now you know how to use that theatrically. I, it's weird. There's a lot of things and in this uh, movie, which just are timeless. And then there are things that you could just pinpoint and say, Washington, D.C. in the 70s. Okay, so what's that about? That's people doing coke. That's disco. That's just, you know, how do we bring out all of the insanity of that one aspect of the movie? Yeah, because it's obvious that you you do have a severe reverence for the movie. But I think at some point when something is so heralded and like so self- it's so serious that like you can just turn it all the way around because I, I I'll totally admit I watched uh, Repossessed the Leslie Nielsen uh, parody. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to oh, see it. I I saw that before I actually saw The Exorcist, so that was my frame of reference oh for God. The Exorcist going in because you know it was on oh TV when I was a kid. I was like, okay, what's what, what's going on here? It's a great title. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I think it's actually really good. That's some Is that's it a really good movie? It's it's a really fun. I mean, it's totally silly. It's exactly what you think it is, and that's a good thing. And the fact that Linda, um, uh, Linda Blair plays herself in it is just big. Takes it to a whole another level. Have you heard from Linda Blair at all about this? You know, we haven't. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if we've reached, we've reached out to her people or not. Um, but yeah, no, we haven't heard from her. But I know that she was at. The Midsummer Scream. Apparently, mm-hmm. she'd made some appearance there, and she might have known that it was happening. But I don't know. I think like Eileen Dietz was also there, and I can imagine how that might have 
Eileen Dietz had kind of been connected to our show through the convention mm-hmm. and maybe the idea of Eileen Dietz being there might have repelled her. I no. don't know what, the, what their relationship is like, yeah. but from all that controversy back in the day, uh, who knows if oh. that still hangs over 50 yeah, years so, so how long is the show going for? Uh, the show's going here until the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just had some great reviews so far for it uh, here in New York, which is really great. Um, great word of mouth, really awesome audience feedback. And everyone just seems to be kind of losing their shit for it. So we're going to keep, you know, doing it here. And then we're going to go to, I think, uh, the, in San Francisco, there's Sketchfest. Mm-hmm. And I think it's either late January or early February. So oh, I think we're going to okay. do it there as well. Um, That's awesome. Try to get everybody crazy about it. Yeah, you know, get it out there. So why did you bring it back now? Is it because of the new movie or you just like had a hankering? Well, the new movie's only, you know, the new movie was timed because of the 50th anniversary. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like we, we timed ours for the same reason that that project was probably timed as well right. for uh, 2023. But also I wanted to make sure that I got the album done that we put up the show in Los Angeles and then we did the show in New York. That was kind of like a one, two, three punch for the team. Um, I don't think there's any aspect of this that could have existed without the other to some extent. Try to push it success. Well, it seems like it's very successful. Like I said, I'm not a musical person by any stretch or a theater person. Um, I think the last thing I saw last like, 20 years was uh book of mormon um yeah and i i thought i had, a, but I had another time at this i think <laughs> i'll say that well you know let me, let me say this uh, for anybody out there who's thinking that the you know musical theater uh, give me a break um I'm, I'm actually really not though i do write musical theater um i'm really don't listen to a tremendous amount of it like i'm not like you know i'm not gonna sit here and try to school you on like the big shows on broadway right now because i don't know what they are and um there's there's a lot of really prominent uh broadway composers who i i could not care less about i do love stephen sondheim i do yeah. love sweeney todd i think that's like the coolest musical ever made but i'm like you know i'm very much of the school of uh i love hedwig and the angry itch you know i like that just that those sort of rock out drag shows um real i love mm. rock musicals that actually do rock like passing strange uh what's 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 some other ones that just are so fantastic uh um uh well i love little shop of horrors i think that's mm-hmm. a great musical totally listen to that any day of the week but i'm I'm just weird like i don't i'm not a musical theater snob you know right so this i try to make music that's accessible to people who don't like musicals who just would like turn on a song be like does this rock no it does it yeah it- I went with a couple of friends and yeah, we all were like blown away. Um, and I was inappropriate. I was singing some of the inappropriate songs. <laughs> I mean, that I was like, walking my kids to school. I'm like, Oh wait, it's like stuck in my head. Cause what the, um, there's the, you know, your mother sucks cock in hell. Oh, um, yeah. The famous yeah. reprise of the show. <laughs> yeah. I know. It gets every time I can't remember the actress's name. Every time she comes out as her mother, as his mother, I just lost it. Oh yeah, that's right. Gabby Centalitro. 
Yeah, she mm. comes out as the mom. So that was so funny the way they did that. Yeah. It's it's just crazy. Yeah, and what's funny is because uh, her and one of the other directors, I think, were just standing around with clipboards. And I thought they just worked at the um, at the uh, club. Uh, was it three clubs? Three of clubs. Three clubs. And yeah. I, yeah, and I, I didn't realize that they're part of the cast. I just started talking to them, like you know, when does it start? You can give me some information. I was just trying to figure out what the deal was, and then they oh, just yeah. get up on stage and start acting like, oh, okay, they really bonded in. Well, you know, that's kind of the thing. You know, people come in, they don't know what to expect. They think it's going to start off with like da 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 da, and here we go. And it's like instead, it starts off with people talking, like, hey, what's up? Is this thing going to start? Hey, oh, hey there, how you doing? Thanks for showing up. You know, we're, we're waiting on an actor here. Everyone just chill yeah. out for a minute, and it all just becomes very natural. You know. Mm-hmm. This conversation with the audience being like, hey there, I'm, I'm Michael Shaw Fisher, I'm a composer, blah, blah, blah. And when we're doing a reading, that's all this is, just a reading. And so people are like in the audience like, wait, what is this? And then as they kind of go and it becomes the show and it becomes the show bigger. Yeah, right. a show within the show. Then it's like, oh man, like no one knows what the hell they're seeing. And it's just everything's getting crazier and crazier with each passing, um, each passing number. Right, and then the whole you know vomit spray. Um, blowing. <laughs> yeah. was, that, was that leaf blower? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. great. That's that was a pretty great trick. Come up, uh, uh, that was David Haverty who came up with that trick. Our our principal has been our photographer through this process, but also he has uh, ties with this show going back ten years. So he he had this thought in his head, which he was very kind to share. Nice. Well, we're here to talk about the new Exorcist movie, so let's hop into that. Let's um, talk about it, man. What do you think? Well, first, let me do. Let me. I'm going to do a plot synopsis review. Okay. I'm just going to read okay. off of Wikipedia. Um, again, we're going to be in spoilers, but just to kind of level set everything. So again, reading straight from Wikipedia. In Haiti, photographer Victor Field and his pregnant wife Serene, blessed by a voodoo practitioner are on their honeymoon until a massive earthquake ensues. Serene is gravely injured, and paramedics tell Victor he must choose to save either his wife or his unborn child, Angela. Thirteen thirteen years later, Victor has lost his faith in God since Serene's death while raising Angela on his own. One day after school, Angela ventures into the woods with her Baptist friend, uh, Catherine, to perform a ritual in an attempt to contact Angela's mother. Victor realizes his daughter is missing and contacts Catherine's parents, Miranda and Tony, as a three-day manhunt ensues. The girls are later found in the barn, though traumatized, they seem relatively normal and taken home, having only suffered burn marks on their feet. The next day, Angela suddenly attacks Victor and begins convulsing, while Catherine has an outburst in church. Victor admits Angela to the hospital where their nurse neighbor, Anne, attends to her. Uh, attends to her. And Miranda begins to theorize that the girls traveled to hell and brought back a demon with them, hence the burns on their feet. The girls' conditions worsens as their burns become more severe. Anne convinced that Angela is possessed after she reveals her knowledge of Anne's training as a nun and her abortion. Um, Therefore, she gives Victor a book written by Chris McNeil, who experienced a similar situation with her daughter Reagan in 1973. Chris has spent her life researching exorcisms in every culture while becoming world-renowned for her studies. However, Reagan became distant from her mother due to the memoir's success and has not seen her since. Victor searches for Chris 
and takes her to the hospital to see Angela before going to Catherine's home while Victor attends to uh, Miranda and Tony. Chris goes upstairs and begins to perform her own exorcism on Catherine. Catherine stabs Chris multiple times in the eyes with a crucifix, blinding her. She's rushed to the hospital. Victor, Miranda, Tony, and Anne reach out to the church and Father Maddox for an exorcism. Chris advises Victor to use methods from all different cultures and religions, and the group seeks the help of Dr. Bihab, um, a root healer, the Catherine's family Baptist uh, pastor, and Stuart, a Pentecostal preacher. The group plans an exorcism, but the local diocese forbids Maddox from uh, participating. The girls are tied to chairs, and the group proceed with the exorcism. The devil reveals that Victor did not choose to keep Angela alive 13 years ago. He chose Serene, but she died from her injuries. The demon tells him that he needs to choose which of the girls gets to live and which will die. If a choice is not made, he will kill both of them. While Miranda and Victor refuse to choose to forsake each other's child, Maddox, who has a change of heart, rejoins the group. Maddox reads from the Roman ritual only for the demon to snap his neck and kill him. As Victor apologizes to Angela and uses Serene's scarf to attempt to strengthen her connection uh, with her mother against the demon, Tony yells that he chooses Catherine and Angela flatlines. Suddenly, the demon reveals the one that that was chosen will be the one who died. Catherine screams for her parents as the demon drags her to hell, while Angela starts to breathe. Police arrive as Miranda and Tony fail to resurrect Catherine, and Victor tearfully reunites with his daughter. In the aftermath, Victor visits Serene's grave. Miranda and Tony mourn the loss of Catherine, and Angela returns to school. In the hospital, Chris is reunited with Reagan, who forgives her mother, and they emotionally embrace. The end. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, so all that, yeah. Like I said, <laughs> we're, might as well, we're reviewing it. You can't, I think this is the kind we, of thing you're going to spoil. Absolutely not. No, for sure. So what did you think? Well, all right. <laughs> my, this. my thoughts are this. Um, I, I think there's one important element missing to the film. Um, and that is really the idea that it's this thing that Max von Sydow says in, in his character, Father Marin says in the original Exorcist. And I'm not, I'm, by the way, and I'm going to preface all of this by saying that even though I love the original Exorcist, um, like I worship it as being well, not just one of the best horror films ever made, but one of the best films ever made, like on tier with like the Godfather films. Like, mm-hmm. even though I feel that way, it's, it's not necessarily the element. I'm not saying it had to be that, that good. But the question are, what are the elements that made it that good? And some people would say, oh, it's the fact that we'd never seen a a girl become possessed before. We'd never seen a a teenager become possessed, and that was so shocking. It wasn't just that. Um, Stephen King had made a comment that The Exorcist was really a, a commentary on the fact that America was changing, that youth's relationship with its parents was changing. This kid had come out of the, the 60s. Counterculture was born in the 60s. 
Exorcist was 73. It wasn't too long after the birth of all of this. People were frightened for their children. It was tapping into something that was really sort of a deep psychological hang-up of, of sort of a conservative America. To see um, of its youth, you know, taking drugs and having sex and all of that kind of stuff. Being consumed by, uh... So it was, in a way, making a cautionary tale about all of that stuff at the same time, you know, imbuing it with something that, uh, I don't know, I, I felt it was truly shocking. And if you watch The Exorcist now, it is still as shocking. You will not see a person stabbing their crotch with a bloody crucifix in any film now at all. It won't happen. And, and to me, that's where they dropped the ball. I've read reviews and I haven't seen one review mention this. They're all like, it's not scary enough. I'm like, define scary. Right. Scary is subjective. What is that? It's, it, it doesn't disarm you. It doesn't shock you. A better exorcist movie was Lars von Trier's Antichrist. That was a better exorcist movie because that shocked me. Right. Like that disturbed me. Uh, uh, what, what Defoe and Ginsburg did with their performances in that movie completely broke my brain. Like, um, so I think, you know, and, and heck, you know, talk to me, that horror movie that came yep. out this year. Fantastic. Shocked mm-hmm. me. Have a lot of questions about that movie, but we're not talking about that one. Specific, what, I'm, what I'm saying is what they needed to do was to not hang upon the established genre that it had created but instead aim for the legacy that nobody had been able to create right right because yeah you're right because the exorcist since that movie any possession movie is just cribbing from that there's no there hasn't been like like you can tell different ways like the last exorcism is a really clever way to frame it or the exorcism emily rose is a great like way to take that but yeah every movie still kind of has those same beats those same but even though The Exorcism of Emily Rose is still a much more intelligent film because the exor- it's about it's an anti-exorcism movie mm-hmm. where she's just mentally ill. So that's playing on the established tropes of The Exorcism. Yes. Being like, guess what? None of that's real, guys. She was tied to a bed and starved by these priests and abused, and her death is a tragedy. That's why that movie works in a much more modern way than what we just what just came out in 2023. And that movie, Exorcism of Emily Rose, was like 15 years ago. Yeah. Which is insane. So my, my big thing is it can't it's making it an exorcist movie, it doesn't matter if it's Catholic, it doesn't matter if it's any of these things, although Blatty probably would disagree. The big thing for me is shock me. Show me something that is shocking now. Mm-hmm. And will always be shocking. Make me lose my faith in God. Make me, uh, make me say this is exactly what Max von Sydow says: the devil wants us to to lose our faith that there's any goodness in us. If you don't find a scene or two and fight for it with the studio the way that Blatty did when it comes to stabbing yourself with the crucifix or whatever, the head turning around or, or whatever, li- grabbing the mom's face and forcing her to lick it. Like if you don't 
fight for those things which are going to truly unnerve a person, then all you're doing is doing lip service to the original, which too many films have already done. Yeah. That's, that's my big overall. So let me ask you this. If this was not a cool exorcist movie, if it was just like the believer, not Mm -hmm. tied to the original at all, what would be, what would you be? Would you think this is a good movie an okay movie? Oh, that's a great question. I think it would be garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it didn't have, if it didn't have the, uh, the IP, I mean, I, if it didn't have, if it didn't have that, that moment with the mother and the daughter at the end, um, or bring yeah, it if, if you take out that all of all the Chris McNeil stuff and just make it yeah, a, a random possession movie. But you, you know, hold on, no, I, I don't know if it would be garbage because I got to give some major respect to Leslie Odom Jr. because mm-hmm. such an incredible, wow, what a performance! Like he is a really incandescent actor. Yeah. Like he's so just from the heart, and I, I loved him. Like I loved his relationship with his daughter, and for that reason, I can't disregard the movie, even if it didn't have all those exorcist things that I, you know, of course, I'm geeking out about. Also, it amazes me that they didn't stay true to the shock element of the original Exorcist, because a, it's so obvious. But B, because they also went for a lot of the nuance of the original film. The first act or whatever that is. That's, yeah. that's a lot of pacing. It's very close to the original. And certain people won't like that. But I really thought it was well done. There was some real you know, film student researching the master, Friedkin, being like, okay. Okay, keep it low here, low here, low here, low here. Car horn, you know what I mean? Like just calming everyone down, street, well, street drilling. Yeah, and, I, and then you're like, all these jarring things that come out of nowhere. Yeah, one of the things that I did, I thought was kind of baffling, is that they tried to make it tense the entire way through with no levity. Yeah, like, you can't expect an audience for like a two-hour movie to be at like an either or nine. Or like to try, like there was no breakups. Like even in the original Exorcist, there's like little like gags and things, like little jokes. Really kind of true. Through to like you know the whole Carl character, um, when he's like, see no rats. You know, they have no like, rats. <laughs> there's that there's that uh, that, that scene in the attic, which is really tense, really scary, and then there's that big kind of shock with a fling, and then he just kind of shows up. See, see no rats. And she's like, like yeah, 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 you're right. Like you need to have like, I feel like. <laughs> You need to have an elevation, but they need to have like kind of a letdown to relieve the pressure. Where I think here they were trying to keep the pressure so high that at one point you just kind of lose it. You know, that's a really great observation. I think, like, yes, absolutely. Because who was more of a fan of comedy than Blatty himself? Right. You know, William Peter Blatty wrote and was, was fired by Mel Brooks because Mel Brooks didn't like his style, but. I think that that he set out to be a comic writer and then he just happened to, after selling scripts and making a living at writing comedy, sold this book called The Exorcist, which exploded. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm not saying I, I'm not saying the film needed jokes per se that to be funny, but it needed something to relieve the pressure and then build it back up. Well, that was the thing about Blatty. He, he, he didn't do jokes like, you know, mm-hmm. he did repartee. Yeah. Like, like between the, the detective and the, yeah, the detective character. Exactly. And, 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 uh, and Father Karras. Yeah. Father Karras is like, you know, the whole like, uh, I lied. You look like Salminio. Yeah, know? exactly. Like, you're right. The levity is so human because even Hamlet is funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's like no levity, and I'm saying need like I'm not saying it needs like it to be saccharine, but like yeah. it needs something to kind of relieve the pressure a little bit to build it back up. Because again, as an audience, to be at like such a high level the entire time, you, I think at some point you just kind of lose it. Um, sure. My so to go to my answer my own question. I yeah. thought this would be an okay movie if it wasn't an exorcist movie. It'd be, yeah, yeah. some good performances. Um, but again, if you're going to tie it to the exorcist IP, I didn't think there was enough to justify it being a cool exorcist movie. You brought Chris McNeil back and then you sideline her very quickly. Um, yeah. I thought she was, I guess they were trying to set us up to think that she was going to be the exorcist. Right. Which, okay. I'm, I'd be into that. Let's see how, you know, she's able to, you know, step up to the task but then no we're going to sideline her almost immediately yep and i couldn't really find any there was no setup for and again we don't i don't need like a ton of setup for like a whole trilogy like marvel does we don't need like extraneous characters or scenes to kind of set set up the larger world but like one line could have been like well that was one demon but there's more or um so i didn't catch this at all in the movie but everything i've I've read from other people that the demon in this one is Lamesh who is at one point, uh, let's see, the lover of Pazuzu, the demon from the original movie, which, you know, again, isn't depending on the, which canon you go by. That could have been interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, why not say, like, this is a competing demon with the original demon? Like, he's it, instead of one girl, he's going after two girls. I'm going to up, it's like <laughs> some sort of demon upmanship. Like, I want, I want a whole network of demons or something. The demon didn't really have any personality. Um, where in the original Exorcist, he's like sitting there having conversations with the demon and stuff. And he's like, you know, the you know, the, do you want me to exercise to do an exorcism? Oh yeah, that bring us together, you know. Uh, yeah, the, you know, you and me. Like, there's no parts of that to give the demon like a personality other than just generic possession. Yeah, and all all of the things that we see with them, like you know, you know, talking about the abortion being like, ah. Scrape, scrape. Like, you're just like, come on. Like, I've heard this a million times. Like, like who is this person? Does it want to get to know any person in the room? And that's, mm. and why does it, why, why does the demon want to get to know this person? Because just breaking a person's neck is not the ultimate corruption. It's getting right. into their demons. It's getting into Father Karras' mother's, you know, what, what happened with his mother. That is where... The, the the demons roll like a swine in, in mud, like just has the the joy of just writhing in filth. Like the, like where is that horror? Um, mm. All the mistakes that we've made, and I think like instead he has to face the mistake that he made as a plot point that's central to the existence or the continued existence of one of these girls, but. That is something that could have been played on earlier. Because yeah, it could have been taunting him the whole time about it. You know, you could have drawn that out. Um, they gave it. They gave it up for a twist. 
That's what right. they did. And at that point, they'd lost their audience, so it didn't really matter so much. Right. And again, but, the concept of the dual possession, okay, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But we didn't get to know the other girl, Catherine, at all. We had no clue who she is or what she was like. For all we know, she could have been, you know, not that far off from, you know, that crazy to start off with we don't know were they actually friends because at one point they're like our daughters don't know each other but then she's going that they're, they're acting friendly like the ordeal just comes off as more hollow because we only have a connection with one of the girls and again i don't need like i don't want a three-hour version of this movie but like just a little bit give us a little like is, is this was this like a bully that like convinced Catherine to come out there or convinced Angela to come out there. Like what was their relationship before and what was she like before? Cause those scenes of Reagan, you know, in the exorcist, like as an, as a sweet child is what endears us to her and makes it even more tragic. Right. And, and, and like, honestly, is there ever really any question which of these girls is going to die? I mean, it's like one of them starts off getting a protection spell. Yeah. That's like the opening scene of the thing. She's the central character. She's the one who the dad, you know, like the, that relationship is the central relationship to the whole thing. Um, if you really want to make us feel that there's going to be this question, then you have to give, like you said, a little bit more to the other girl so mm. that there is a more than just the bare minimum. There, I mean, I, when we get down to actual like holes in it, the things that don't make sense. If your if your wife is like nine months pregnant, you're not going to be traveling in some yeah. foreign country. I'm sorry, you're not. Like it just doesn't. Like I I had a hard time traveling across the country with my wife in a car, not even getting out, not even drinking food that wasn't part of this country. You're drinking water from another country or whatever. I was close. We were close to hospitals. We knew what we were doing. And my wife was maybe like seven months pregnant at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't believe that. I didn't believe. Let's talk about plot holes here. I didn't believe, first of all, that he just got into a car and could drive however long it took. Maybe it was just an hour to wherever Rachel McNeil was. I'm not Rachel yeah. McNeil. Uh, Chris. Chris. Chris McNeil. Who's just in her little beach house. Her daughter's completely written her off. Um, to me, that also, I didn't believe, given the closeness of their relationship in the first film. Even yeah. though I understand, like, what they're, well, how they justified it. It's being like, oh, well, she didn't want anything to do with that. Um, to have no contact with a parent, their only, you know, real parent, is, is that's a serious choice. But then also the fact that she, knowing that her daughter Reagan was like, had to be tied to a bed because she could make stuff fly around the room, which no longer happens, by the way, in, in this, none of these entities can do this anymore, apparently. But things are flying around the room, bookshelves falling on her mom. You know, all sorts of crazy stuff in the original Exorcist. She needed to bring in these learned men who even they got killed. Both of them. And she walks in there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't know this child. I don't know the case at all. I'm going to walk in there and just be like, oh, hey, I'm just going to start being like, I know you. And it's it's all just it's all so contrived. 
and, right. and, and it isn't justified at all. And I'm like, okay. And now she gets her eyes stabbed out, which is, of course, it's gross, but it's nothing insane. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's yeah. just stupid. It's like, why did this person walk into the room to do this? And why are they now taken out? And what was the point of all of this? Yeah, why like, does this make any sense? Well, I mean, for a movie called The Exorcist, who is The Exorcist in this movie? All right. Right. It's not the possessed. Like the movie's not called the possessed. It's or the or the father of the possessed. It's the exorcist. So, which which person? Because no, none of them actually really matter or step up or like have any. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, okay, no one does. One thing I did like, and this is more of just my personal belief, is the plurality that they try <laughs> to bring up, where they say yeah. like Chris McDonald like says like the aspect of every exorcism is that needs to be like a community thing, which again they usually hide from communities, but. Just saying that it needs to be multiple, like a group of people need to come yeah. together, which I like the idea because, you know, I think pretty much every culture to some degree has some form, you know, they don't call it exorcism or demons or whatever, but they have some sort of cleansing rituals. Yeah. So I would have loved to see that taken way further than they did. Like they brought, was it two or three priests and the other woman who I, I don't, I'm ignorant about this, but I don't know exactly what religion, um, she was practicing. I don't want to say voodoo because that feels not right, but uh, but I even think she mentioned right. some Christian um, scripture when she was doing her. I mean, she was doing like picking up roots and things and making um, tinctures, which um, which is cool. I, I like that. But like, you say she was making. In... You say she was making t-shirts. No tinctures, like like. Oh. Well, I don't want to say potions because again, that sounds. Oh, okay, okay. That's also I don't like she's redu- out there. She's out there. I don't want to be reductive. Tinctures. No, save save Reagan, save Ferris. Demon free. <laughs> um, so I will. I, I like that idea. Again, there's there's a yeah. couple small kernels of ideas, but that yeah. I don't think like they they took it any near far enough. Um, yeah. Uh, have you seen the Exodus TV show? Oh yeah, I like that. I, I I watched the first season just like last week, and it's way better than this. Way that, better. It's exactly because it, it's it it does the same kind of thing where it brings together some legacy characters but gives them a reason it gives them motivation it's natural yeah. to the plot um and they set up a larger world um but without being too hammy about it um yeah uh, maybe that show took all the best ideas yeah well, i mean i feel like the chris mcneil character on that show was kind of wasted that was the only, only thing but at least she like had some, but I felt like it was justified it was in what they did. Yeah. Better I mean, it was, it was infinitely better. I mean, like, yeah. no question. No question. Uh, the, the, yeah, you, you have a little bit of the plurality thing. We have, we have the two sisters, and one is the one you are expecting to be bad, and the other one you're expecting to be the good sister, and she ends up being the possessed yeah, one. Yeah. Did you give the second season of that yet? I haven't seen the second season yet. I actually really liked the second season. I remember them talking about it, being like, we knew we were going to get canceled. So we just, uh, just decided in the second season we would make a season that we like and that we're proud of, even if it does depart a lot from the first season. But I, I, I really think the second season works as well. No, um, I kind of like I kind of like when things are more self-contained. We're like, okay, we're done with that story. Let's move, with these characters. Let's move on. Not like they're going to get possessed again. <laughs> but you know, there's another plot to do yeah. this and that. So I'm kind of glad 
well, like, so I was looking at IMDb and I saw that like a lot of those characters were only in the first season. Like, okay, I'm I'm happy for that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it was a show that. Yeah, I just I think it kind of came out right when streaming was starting to blow up, and it was sort of pushed to the shoulder because it was mm. a network show. Um, but it's a good show, man. Yeah, Definitely. but yeah, I'm just. I'm I'm just wondering if it if they looked at that and they said, "Damn it, they took all they took all the good ideas we can steal <laughs> here and there," but because that again that would have been a great plot for a movie. Um, but I guess yeah. they might have thought people would get mad at them redoing that. Um, but and again, not to I don't want to kick this movie too much while it's down, but like it only has a few big CG like parts sequences. Yeah. They don't look good at all. Like I don't understand how you mess up like a myth. Or a cloud yeah. or whatever. Like it looks like something from twenty years ago, like a PS2. Yeah, it, it's PS2. Yeah, that, that's true. It's interesting. Let's give me credit over PS1. Well, you know, we didn't get any of the really the demon either. Um, well, those quick subliminal flashes, which okay, fine, and they look cool, I guess. But yeah, I kind of want right. to. See, I'm interested to see some production pictures of what that thing actually looked like. Apparently, they had another cut that they were passing around um chad co-director producer here um was he said that he saw a a, a screening of and that it was a lot more demon heavy mm-hmm. that you saw more of the demon. it was more of a character um <clears throat> so i would be interested to see what that footage is but you know, as a purist, not necessarily a purist, but if I were to be a purist, I would say stick to the original less is more when it comes to that demon stuff. But right. it is interesting that they had this. And, they, and they, up, up to the end, they were just going back and forth about like how much they should show. Yeah, because then it become like a um, Conjuring movie or uh, what's the other one? Um, uh, Insidious. Insidious, yeah. Because then be more insidious territory where you have the demon kind of running around a lot more. They go into a further. But that's also where that's also where their Blumhouse audience is, right, and that's exactly. that's meeting them at the expectation. I think that's what he liked about it. <clears throat> that's like his sort of thing. <clears throat> that's the thing. You you can't take something like The Exorcist, in my opinion, which is a theological exploration. About the mystery of faith and the mystery of evil, um, and give it a treatment that's too formulaic. You have to approach it with a sense of reality in order to get into people's nerves. In order to, like in the case of uh, Friedkin, he did it perfectly by getting the um, by capturing the documentary style, the cinema verite having Fidel Castro's cameraman who filmed the the revolution in Cuba, that cameraman just filming the scenes and capturing what he saw coming to life. Uh, so it's like that scene from Alien where they're all sitting around the table right before the alien pops out of the guy's chest and they're all just talking. Mm-hmm. And, and no one has any specific focus. There's no like cut to my face for my line cut to your face, Jason, for your line. It's just like, we're babbling back and forth, babbling back and forth. Boom, something happens. That is a style of cinema I feel that 
could have very much benefited this whole thing. Right. So it feels less deliberate. It feels more natural. Where is the evil coming from? It's mm-hmm. watching us. It's ever present. It's lulling us into a sense of uh, confidence. Yeah. And evil is always scarier when it's coming from normality. Because again, yeah. and that's what I was saying earlier, where I feel like the movie is already at like a, like an eight the entire yeah. time. There's no like naturality in it. Like the girls are walking off in the forest. You know, something bad's going to happen. Like yep. you, you, you're already crying for it. There's no, uh, like even the Haiti part, which I was like, okay, this is kind of mimicking when they're in, I think it's Iraq or Iran. I, f- I always forget. Yeah. Um, and like, there's a forebodingness there. Okay, fine. We know that we know that that's coming. We, we yeah, right. that's that's true to the original mm-hmm. uh, film too, right? Right. And that but, opening scene with then, the Iraq. Right, but then we take it back down, and we and then you know we have the, the Chris McNeil and Reagan dynamic, which is the anchoring part of the movie. Yeah, and I guess I don't know. It did not establish that, especially if you're going to do two girls, you need to establish that for twice. Or else you just don't care about the other girl and the, the shocking ending, it doesn't have any weight to it. Yeah. Well, you know, right, exactly. And I think the, the, the weird thing about this movie is that it was, it had a bit of what we're talking about. Like you just said, like, you know, <clears throat> even in that opener, <clears throat> there was a fair amount of just them being, you know, him and his wife being easy. Her performance was lovely. Mm-hmm. Like, there was so much uh, uh, levity in all of that. And then the earthquake hits, drops everything down to this high level of drama. <clears throat> then we get back to uh, modern times and we get the family and like there's this wonderful quality between him and his daughter, which I really like. I really believe their relationship. And then, I don't know, man, it was somewhere around, I think it was somewhere around where Chris, where Chris comes in, really, that they suddenly just did a complete track switch to like, okay, how do we make this Blumhouse horror? How do we make this more about, you know, not even anything really shocking, but just sort of like a steady gratuity. You know, gratuitous violence increase without any actual precision, dramatically. Right. Um, one thing I, I did find funny is Anne Dowd is in this movie. Who's oh, yeah. A, who's a great character when, actor. When in doubt, yeah. When in doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, because she's also in Hereditary, which is probably the closest movie to The Exorcist. You know, when you want oh, to hey. get to that genre. An- another great Exorcist film. Yeah. Um, sure. So I don't know if they were like, well, maybe we've put Anne Dowd in it. We're already like halfway there. <laughs> yeah. You know, she was, she, she's always good. I, I, there were a couple cuts, which I couldn't believe that they kept that take with her talking. Um, like once we get into like the latter half of the thing, mm-hmm. like some of the performances even fell apart. Like it was, like I just saw, I could see them being like, "What? What are you saying? You're not coming inside, Father?" And the priest, right. like Father Maddox, being like, "I'm not. I'm not. I'm acting. I'm acting. I'm not going yeah. to go inside." And I, like, he was terrible. Yeah, his whole character, uh, I, I'm baffled. For that was supposed to be like a fake out for the audience, but it's like, come on, 
Because you want to fake this out, then make him Max von Saito and then kill him. Like, you know, like you can't give us somebody who's already pretty ineffectual, even at his acting craft, and then all of a sudden give that person the authority of this whole thing. Then put him in a car and he's not going inside, just waiting in the car, chickening out. Then he finally goes inside and he gets killed. I never had any faith in this person. Right. He never, you know, the fact that he was the priest was not enough authority for me to think this guy's the answer. I, I will say Leslie Odom uh, Jr.'s line, like the fight's in there. That was, that was good. I like that line delivery. Oh, that, you know what? In that whole stilted conversation, that was truly the only great line. I mean, that mm. was, no, no, I want to say it was just. It came out of nowhere. I'm like watching this conversation. I'm like, these words, have these people ever spoken before? And Dowd, <laughs> have you ever like said English? And then all of a sudden, Leslie's like, I know my line. That's it. And I was like, oh, that was cute. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nuts. Nuts. Um, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go from here because it's supposed to be a trilogy. So maybe they're going to go try back to save, to save Catherine's soul. Um, you know, maybe hope I was, I didn't know Linda Blair was going to be in this. Okay. That moment. Okay. Did you, you did it not get you? Did it not get you? It was manipulative as hell, but you know, uh, even though Linda Blair cussed me out once I was at a convention and she was, I think she was in a bad mood or something caught her at that time. Oh no. And she, I, I asked her for something and she just was like, no, she just was, she's kind of, I'll give her, I give her a pass because she's been through a lot you know when you're a child actor of that magnitude of that movie you yeah. been through some shit so i was like okay she's having a bad moment I'll, I'll i'll write that one off so but to see her on the film okay and again i didn't know she was going to be in it that kind of like okay I, it's totally manipulative but fine i'll give it that i cried i actually cried. <laughs> and i was so mad too that i cried and I was, <laughs> like, got me no, it, they nailed me. It, it was so. It was just to see them on screen together, uh, Alan Bernstein. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And I was upset because the film had been shown outside the screen. Like there was a screen, but then the film was bleeding over. So mm. I was like losing some. Uh, we didn't fix the aspect ratio, and they couldn't stop it. So they just kept doing it. And they gave me a free pass for it, but. Um, <clears throat> At the end, I had to go get my free pass, but I was sobbing from the movie. So I had to kind of like <laughs> cover up that the movie didn't affect me and put on my sunglasses and be like, that's right. The movie sucked. Give me my pass because I still feel I deserved it. But man, that moment. Does it, it doesn't make up for the whole movie, but it's it's a moment and it's it gets you as fans. Like never yeah. thought you would see that. Never in a million years. I think we'd see that. So, like, okay, fine. You did it. You did the thing. Gosh, it's like there were certain things they had to do, and that was one of them. Really? It's like they had to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how badass would it have been if, like, Reagan showed up at the end uh, at the end of the exorcism scene, and she was the one that, like, picked it up or something like that? That yeah. would have got me out of my seat. I'm like, okay, fine. Just whatever yeah. games were. And maybe the maybe they're saving that. I think... It's one of those things. You have to shoot yourself in the foot by, you know, holding back too much or you give away too much and then you don't have anything for the next couple movies. But so, you should always 
you should always make the best movie you can, you know, on the movie you're making and figure out the rest later. But hey, what do you think is going to be the name of the third film? The second one's Deceiver. Oh, Deceiver. I'm Deceiver's the second. I have no idea. So I mean, maybe it'll funny. either be Perceiver, uh, <laughs> Receiver, Deceiver. or Receiver. how about Redeemer? Redeemer. Okay, Redeemer. There you go. You got it. Is that it? Um, it, it's not a. It's not. I want to say that at the end of the day, I was still glad I saw it. I gave it like a, I, I fluctuate between C, C plus, and C minus daily for this film. Mm-hmm. But um, it still gets a C, which is not a D. Yeah, I mean, again, if if they hadn't called it Exorcist, I'd be like, okay, that's like a B, whatever, somewhere around there. Right. Um, but because, they, again, they, they kind of like hung, they kind of like made them, wrote themselves into a corner on that one or produced themselves. I don't know what you call it. They brought, they, they cornered themselves by calling it an Exorcist movie because it just, that brings so much magnitude to it. And again, I know that it's the IP, and the, but they spent like $400 million. $400 million. Just for the IP for three movies. And they're obligated to make three movies. So. Well, it's not just for the movies. Right? It's also for Halloween Horror Nights Universal. Um, I, mean, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know how that's all tied. I was saying for Blumhouse paid $400 million from Morgan Creek to make this movie. Make oh, yeah, yeah. Movie. No, no. I'm, I'm just saying like the, the, the IP has uses for them beyond just the films. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm just like, oh, this is the but best. Yeah. No, it's, and it's, I guess. Sometimes we have expectations and you have a deadline. It's there's like a um, I do IT project management. Sometimes there's like a there's a try there's a graph that says you can either have something cheap and quick but not good. You have something good and cheap but not quick. You have something quick but not good but cheap. You know, you there's like you can't have all three. Right. Um it's it's amazing though that I mean, I think that they just went with so David Gordon Green, mm-hmm. but I get Halloween. I get that Halloween was a success for them, but I would not hire the same director who did the original Halloween, John Carpenter, to direct The Exorcist, yeah. and I wouldn't get William Friedkin to direct Halloween. Right. These are these should these are not interchangeable voices, and especially putting the Halloween template that they that they found success with on <clears throat> the Exodus movie. Who okay? <clears throat> who would you get to have done this? To have done this? Yeah, and let's take out Laws Rancher and Ari Aster, just as we already uh, mentioned. That. Robert Eggers. Okay, yeah, he's he's my next. Robert Eggers. Um. <clears throat> Jordan Peele could have done something interesting with this. I mean, we're just kind of like cherry picking the best. Or um... I, I think I think Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele stylistically, I mean, in terms of the comments, Jordan Peele would have found a much more interesting thing to do with it. Mm-hmm. But like, I also feel like Jordan Peele, like he has this. What's also interesting, he's got this like kind of chameleon quality when it comes to, you know, like how he slips into genres. I would be interested to see how he slipped into. The Exorcist genre, you know, because of the sort of clearly Spielbergian influences of Nope, you know, um, I'd be like, I know this would have a very different feel to it. It would be interesting. 
person who I feel like has it in his bones would be Eggers. Have you seen a movie called The Dark Song? No. Okay, I'm going to recommend that one because that is an indie, very low budget uh, movie that is, I think, is emotionally beautiful. Um, 20, and that's, 2016. Yeah, go watch that. I think that director could have really done something interesting. But again, this is all just what ifs. That's um, a really, that looks interesting. I'm looking at it right now. It looks really interesting. Yeah, give it a watch. You'll, again, you'll, you'll have thoughts. Um, after watching that movie, it's one of my favorite movies of the last like ten years. Uh, as far oh, as wow. in the movie, um, it's just it, well in the fact that I just like it talks to you. It really gets to your soul. Um, all right, let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, again, this is a special episode, so I'm kind of changing the format a little bit. But one of the things we do like to do here at Dads in the Crypt is uh, dad advice. Um, you have a, a young child. You are, you know. Going cross country, um, what parenting advice um, would you give to our audience? About going cross country with a toddler? Yeah, or just oh. you know, living living the um, theatrical life as a parent. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I would say you know, for your own, for the sake of your own sanity. Don't stop doing things creative just because you have a little person. Mm. Um, sure, you might not be able to always be able to afford the babysitter to keep him from charging headlong into a wall of the theater where you're rehearsing. Um, my kid was raised in theaters, that theater that you were at, three clubs in LA. That kid has eaten off that nasty floor where like the night before <laughs> people were like walking in there with drinks and you know walking around there. I mean he's just run amok in that place. Mm -hmm. He's been in there. My wife has a burlesque company called Cherry Poppins. <laughs> he's been around like all the burlesque dancers and stuff when they're rehearsing and you know doing all their sexy dances and stuff like that. He's just hanging out doing whatever. He's a cool little guy. But I, no matter what it is, uh, don't stop doing your art. Don't stop creating something, even if it is, you know, you're at home and you're a writer and you write horror or, or you, you know, you make comics or whatever it is, it's your thing. Um, don't stop doing it just because you have a kid. But at the same time, at the same time, you got to make sure that you do give that kid every little bit that you can. I was just seeing Michael Keaton talk about how you never regret it ever if you spend a little extra time with your kid. Uh, yeah. You might miss out on a couple jobs, but you miss that. In terms of in terms of tips going across the country, McDonald's mm -hmm. French fries, my friend. McDonald's yeah. French fries with all their arsenic is a dad's best friend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, going back to your, your first point, yeah, we talked a lot about work-life balance and like, it's kind of a dichotomy of like, you know, sell, work, making time, making, I mean, obviously we have to work, you know, and provide yeah. for our families. We have to, you know, and find, but on top of that, find balance to work on yourself or be, you know, keep yourself, you know, sane and who you are and being, exploring those things and also find time for that. So it's like finding that balance in some week, it might be a little more this way. Some week it might be a little more that way, but you know, 
in the yeah. end on the on the on the balance finding that that doing the best you can with all those and like hopefully you hope creating a situation where you can find the extra time to be with your family and then some days and finding the extra time to work on your own thing um exactly have, be able to have you know the financial means hopefully you know you can work you can or just all that as well the most important means to have if you don't have it financially is just to have a really resourceful mm-hmm. and devoted partner who's uh putting your creative stuff and making sure that you're, you're putting each other's creative stuff out there first you know my wife is a, is a co-director of the show it's her and chat mm-hmm. um and she is phenomenal Allie miller fisher is one of the most unstoppable creative minds she inspires respect she's capable she's proficient she's economical she's inspired she's no bs and she is very a very passionate artist and mother so like you know to have this person she's i let her steer the shit i've got i've made my contribution in the case of our child it was a certain amount of semen in the case of this show it was it was the script and and, and the music the lyrics but you know what none of this would happen without her and so your resources are wherever you find them. In this case, I'm not, I don't have millions of dollars, so I can't just have a babysitter. So instead, we just have to have the most copacetic tag team that we could possibly do at any given second. And it sucks. And it's hard. It always is hard. It never gets easy. Ever. <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe when he can sit Imagine. down with... With the, with the, with the, whatever it is, a switch, and he can just sit there, like, going yeah. off and Minecraft yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Some days my son just sits on my lap and play Roblox on, on, on the Chromebook, and, you know, I can be on my phone or whatever, and that's what he wants. He just wants. Is, isn't that heavenly, on. though? Isn't it cool yeah. just to be able to sit back and have your son just chill out on you like mm-hmm. that? Isn't that fun? It's the best. Best ever. Best ever, man. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Michael, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you and about your show? Okay, yeah. Uh, come check us out. Uh, uh, let's see. I, I am... Uh, or, let's see. What, what to do first? Exorcistic Musical. Is it Exorcistic unders- underscore musical is the hashtag or the... The... The at thing. Yeah. The Instagram Exorcistic underscore musical. And follow us there, as well as go get tickets for the show at HRS Productions LA dot com. Is on Eventbrite as well. Yeah, and it's on Eventbrite. Absolutely. Excellent, and uh, you know what better way to spend uh, the Halloween spooky season than you know singing about mothers sucking cocks in hell. You know what? Your your cunting daughter is is another fantastic song. Oh my god! Yeah, that, that that's another one. I'd be like, I can't I can't keep saying that word. But you know, they're like, you know what she did? Your cunting daughter. Like it's just. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's that's pretty good. No, that's it. And Emma Hunton sings the hell out of that. She is a tour de force in this. Yeah, I was I was hoping because I want I want to ask her how the hell she she's able to do like all those things she does because it's an amazing performance. Not not to go too far off, but like. Because she plays the innocent daughters so well, and then, yeah. but then she just like flips on the dime. And I was like, 
how did you find this actress? Like in the or how many actresses did you um, audition for that role? We didn't. I mean, Emma Hutton. Here's the thing. Like, I was gonna do the album, and I and I knew that I was gonna do the album, and I approached Emma, and I was like, "Is this something you might be interested in doing?" And like, I played her like a track from it. I think it was maybe The Exorcism, where it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah, enjoy your sin and never cease to be. And she sings that song, which is like, and it's just howling. Like, whoa, whoa. It's like operatic and it's like powerful. And she listened to that and she was like, shit, that's pretty good. And so she came back and I think was like willing, she wanted to be a part of it. Um, and it just kind of became clear that nobody was going to be able to shred that like her, mm-hmm. like nobody. And she was down to do it. Um, and then also to do the show, which was a whole thing because we it's wanted to make sure we physical. had Right. So we the recording and then the physical though, and she's already physical like that. Like, I mean, mm. keep in mind, Emma Hutton like, has done, she's done Elphaba on Broadway. She's done Spring Awakening on Broadway. I mean, she is just a beast and she's on a freaking TV star. So she's like, I want to do something that I love. That's why I want to do this show because mm. I love this part because I love the team. And just, just love the songs. That's great. Uh, and she sings it from the bottom of her beautiful soul. Yeah. And there's so much of her in this show. It's all over the show. She's also the producer as well. And uh, yeah, sh- this production would not exist without her. It's awesome. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone for listening. We would really appreciate if you could give us a rating or review on iTunes or rating on Spotify. Check out our YouTube for videos of these podcasts. With that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> ha 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 